Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. You know, I'd love to tell you I'm a perfect person, and everything I've ever said on this show, I would be able to stand behind and say, yep, got that one 100% right, and uh, that absolutely perfectly reflecting the uh, future that unfolded in front of us just a couple of weeks later. I'd love for that to be true for me. The honest truth is it's obviously not. When you talk as much as I do over the course of a long period of time, eventually you get decent amount of things wrong, probably, and sometimes you get things wrong for the same reason. You have a tendency to overreact in the moment to something that's not quite as true as it appears that it might be in that particular instance. That's just kind of the way that things go sometimes from time to time. And even though I sort of preach against, hey, don't overreact, don't get too crazy, don't get too high about one thing or too low about something else, the truth is the reason why we kind of talk about that is because it is the kind of thing that can very easily happen. So I am guilty of what I'm about to laugh at someone else for doing but listen every now and then it's just sort of funny to kind of point out faults in others even if you have them in yourself we have an example here this morning to begin the show and it actually sets us up for a conversation that I believe we need to have about Georgia here right now but as a way of setting that up just for fun here for a moment a guy that we highlighted last week as a pretty outspoken critic of Georgia he has apparently very quickly changed his tune in a very big way about the dogs and I just sort of think this is funny do you know Joel Clatt. He is an analyst for Fox Sports. Now, I actually believe Clatt is probably above the Mendoza line when it comes to analyst quality. I think he takes his job pretty seriously. I think that uh, he provides some pretty cogent analysis of college football. I really don't have much of a beef or an issue with Clatt. But last week on the heels of a game against Auburn that for Georgia was not as impressive as it probably should have been for a team ranked number one in the country. Joel Clatt had knives out for Georgia. Very, very critical at the time of UGA. And for context where we want to go today, let's go back and hear Clatt unhappy with a Georgia team that not quite playing up to a national championship level in his mind. This is what Joel Clatt from Fox Sports said just a week ago. They are a shell of what they were in the past. I get it. They're wearing the same uniforms. I get it. They've got the same coach. And I get it. They've got the same star in Brock Bowers. But the heart and soul of what Georgia was over the last two years was a dominant team in the run game at the line of scrimmage and on defense. And that's not the case anymore, at least not right now. The data suggests that there's something very different. Data suggests there's something very different. Georgia, he says, a shell of its former self. And that is something that Joel Klatt said last week. This was like five days ago or something like that. I mean, this was just literally a few days ago that Joel Klatt was like, Georgia ain't Georgia anymore. This isn't the national champions. They're a shell of their former selves. They can't stop anybody on the run defense. They can't run the football. This is a Georgia team with just myriad problems. If you'll remember, we talked about that a lot on the show last week. Well, guess what? Georgia goes out and throttles Kentucky on Saturday, and all of a sudden now Joel Klatt has completely changed his tune. All of a sudden, Klatt now sees Georgia along the lines of one of the greatest sprinters of all time, making the comparison between Georgia and, do you know who Usain Bolt is? It makes the comparison between Georgia and Usain Bolt. All of a sudden, Joel Klatt totally singing a different song when it comes to Georgia now. This is Joel Klatt just 
one week later. Very funny. Take a listen to this. It reminds me a little bit of Usain Bolt throughout his career, who would just kind of toy with runners at times and the prelims and everything. And, and you really wanted to know. And then you would get to a final, whether it was a world championship final or an Olympic final. And then you would see like the start. And he wasn't a great starter, remember, because he had the long legs. And then in the middle of the race, it was just like, oh, there he goes. That's what Georgia just did on Saturday to a pretty good Kentucky team. A team that could run the ball. They were decent at the line of scrimmage. I thought it was a bad matchup for Georgia because of the way Georgia had played coming into the game, in particular at the line of scrimmage. And they reminded us all. It's the middle of the race. They were Usain Bolt. It's like, oh, you're still the fastest runner on the track. I get it. So Georgia is still Georgia. And and now we are reminded that, that a similar thing happened a year ago. They slept walk through that Missouri game, won, everybody questioned them, and then all of a sudden it was just like boom, boom, boom. They just ran through the rest of the season. It was over. Look, I try not to take myself too seriously. If you looked hard enough, could you find an example of me doing a complete and total about face on something one week later? If you looked hard enough, and perhaps maybe you wouldn't even have to look that hard, but if you looked hard enough, you could probably find that. We've been doing this show now for long enough. We've probably got a L that big somewhere in our back history. That's probably possible anyway. But that's pretty remarkable. From Joel Klatt, who, as I said before, I mean, Joel Klatt's one of the good ones. I mean, he of all the analysts out there, he's one of the ones that's actually kind of not an idiot sometimes. And like one week later, he's like, Oh yeah, this you know this, this you know Georgia's still Georgia. A week ago, this is a shell of its former self. This team's lucky to even go out there and win a football game. And now, yep, Georgia's still Georgia. Making the comparison to Usain Bolt, who's so much better than his competition that he could just sort of toy with them and play with them, and eventually sort of turn it on and find the extra gear when he really needed to. That's what Joel Klatt now thinks Georgia is, even though a week ago he thought Georgia was a shell of its former self. I mean. <laughs> Listen, as I said before, you know, we certainly are not beyond reproach here. I'm sure we've done something similar to that in the past. But that's a pretty big about face in just one week from a guy like Joel Klatt, uh, the famed analyst from uh, Fox Sports, who now after the hills on the heels of the performance against Kentucky is now convinced. Yeah, Georgia's still Georgia. Georgia is Georgia all over again. So uh, pretty interesting stuff there from Joel Klatt. Now, you'd be happy to know that Kirby Smart's not moved much by all of this. The idea of, well, one week the analysts are out to get you. The next week the analysts are they're praising you and they're talking about how you know great you are and how really this is this is just like last year. You know, last year you had the game against Missouri and that sort of woke Georgia up and they marched through the rest of the season. Kirby Smart's not really moved by all of this because on Saturday, prior to Joel Klatt's about face here in terms of his uh, evaluation of Georgia, on Saturday after the game against Kentucky, Smart was asked in his post-game press conference, hey, what do you say to the critics? What do you say to the people who've been waiting for y'all to play a game like this? What do you say to those people? Well, you probably have a pretty good guess of what Kirby Smart would say or think about anything like that. Uh, this is what Smart said on this topic going back to Saturday night. I'll say anything to him. I'm not worried about our performance. <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't say anything when we didn't look well. I'm not going to say anything now. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really concerned with what we can do from this game to get better for the next one because we want to be a leader getting better. Do you feel like you were the number one team in the country tonight? I don't care. I don't care. I want to be the number one team at the end of the year. The goal to get there is to get better. I, I could care less what anybody writes us. 
So I want to use all of this as kind of a setup to have a semi-serious football conversation for a couple of seconds here. Because what Smart says there is, I don't care what the critics say. I don't care about being ranked number one. I want to be, and I love this phrase, elite at getting better. I want to be an expert at showing improvement. And uh, the idea of like, you know, just just being good at, at adding to your skill set as the year goes on. I want to be elite at getting better. Kind of an interesting phrasing there from Kirby Smart. And I think at this point in time, it's important to point out, even though Joel Clapp from Fox says, oh, you know what? This year is just like a year ago. Georgia had a kind of a sleepy performance against Missouri. And after that, boom, 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 marching through the rest of the season. However, I think we should probably point out there's at least one way in which the rest of this season could actually be far different than what unfolded for Georgia in 2022. By and large, overly broad, simple caricature, but nonetheless directionally accurate. This is sort of what last season felt like for Georgia in the national and in, in the regular season. You had sort of the proving ground week one against Oregon. Georgia showed itself to be great. And then for the rest of the sort of month of September and most of October, nothing else the team really did kind of mattered all that much because they showed you on a neutral field against kind of a top 25 level team. They were capable of scoring touchdowns on seven straight drives to begin the game that really no one was kind of playing at that Georgia level. 49 to three against Oregon was a major statement a year ago. And so for much of the next few weeks, pretty much nothing for Georgia mattered. And then come November, you had the game against Tennessee, and it's Tennessee that's ranked number one, and Tennessee had a lot of steam around it. And there was a lot of thought that, hey, Tennessee's the team to kind of stop Georgia. And so once again, it was sort of proving ground for Georgia. Georgia kind of got back to that same level it had been against Oregon, really handled Tennessee very easily. And then Georgia kind of went back into its cave again for the rest of the regular season, came out playing hard, playing tough, postseason, wins the second straight national championship. That's probably overly broad and probably too simplistic of a caricature, but that's generally speaking what last year was. Proving ground against Oregon, go back to sleep. Proving ground against Tennessee, go back to sleep. Playoff, run through that, win another national championship. I don't think that's what the next few weeks for Georgia are going to be like here this year. I think what Georgia's about to do for much of the rest of the regular season is actually somewhat sneaky tough, if you get my drift here. That when Kirby says, hey, we want to be elite at getting better, I think if you're a fan and you take that to mean that all Georgia's doing right now is biding its time and using these games as de facto practices, all of this is like what last year felt like, where you're just sort of putting things in place to make a run at another national championship. I don't quite think that's the case. I think that Georgia is going to need to play better for much of the next few weeks in the regular season. I think they're going to need to play better in some of these games than perhaps they were required to some of last season in fact let me show you this on the screen here for a moment for those of you watching on video so if you just use like a a basic metric that's out there the espn football power index as a for instance because this kind of measures beyond just the top 25 so sometimes an analytics based uh power ranking like this can be more valuable because it gives you more information beyond just the 25 teams who are receiving enough votes to be included in one of the human polls let me show you this on the screen here for a moment when you look at what george is about to play skip past vanderbilt for a moment we assume that game will be easy certainly we hope that it is october 28th against florida right now florida's the 34th rated team in the ESPN football power index now you may not care about those analytics rankings but what that's telling you is is that's putting Florida somewhere in that just below what the the 75th percentile of teams in the country that's that, that that's a decently tough game Florida's not very good they may lose again on Saturday but that's a decently tough game same thing for Missouri on November 4th Missouri 
probably unfairly fell out of the top 25 rankings after loss to uh, LSU this past week. They have a chance to kind of play their way back in by perhaps beating Kentucky on Saturday. But whether they're in the top 25 or not, they're currently 37th in the ESPN FPI. Once again, that's a reasonably tough game for Georgia coming up the week after playing Florida. Then you get to legitimate games. November 11th, hosting Ole Miss. That's the team that's rated 11th right now in the ESPN FPI. And Tennessee on November 18th, it's a road game, which makes it a challenge there as well. But that team currently ranked 17th, according to the ESPN Football Power Index. The point I'm getting to is this is that you know the whole idea of what analysts are saying about Georgia and kind of flip-flopping well now Georgia's Georgia again and you know this is just like last year when Georgia kind of easily marched through the regular season as a way of you know getting to an eventual national championship and you know Kirby Smart's own thoughts here about hey we want to be elite at getting better some fans could take a a statement like that to mean all this really is is just tune up to get ready for the playoffs all this really is is just tune up to get ready to go for three and 23. I think the actual situation on the ground is a little bit more complicated than that because, as you've heard us say before, last year is not a very effective, uh, I guess, representation of real life. Most teams don't win national championships as easily as Georgia won its national championship a year ago. They just don't. Uh, Most teams have a much harder challenge than that going through a regular season slate. And I believe that Georgia is about to face – a more challenging stretch in the four games that I just mentioned than maybe any four-game stretch of what it faced a year ago. Even though on paper, a lot of folks thought the Georgia schedule was somewhat soft or somewhat weak, the numbers that I just gave you sort of suggest something different. So to kind of put a bow on this topic, let me say it this way. Georgia showed you on Saturday it is capable of being the very best team in the country, and it probably showed you on Saturday it still is the best team in the country, that it is a great football team but it's going to have to play at a similar level the rest of the way. The actual percentage chance of Georgia going undefeated, believe it or not, according to the math nerds and the calculators and things like that, is actually relatively low. So Georgia found its highest gear against Kentucky, and it's probably in the weeks to come going to have to try to find someone to stay pretty close to that. These aren't just tune-up games, and this isn't just a soft stretch. And the analysts may rise and fall, and they may flip-flop and change their opinion back and forth here and there. But ultimately, it's the performances for Georgia on the field they are going to matter they're going to face some challenges in the weeks to come. And we're going to see if Georgia's equal to that task. Obviously, a lot of us expect that the dogs will be. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Breda Pest Management. We're happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us. First in 15, 9.45 a.m. That's dognation.com, Dog Nation app. Those are our own platforms that we've kind of rolled out here over the course of the last couple of years. It's been a very successful thing for us. We really appreciate that. And as a way of saying thank you for those of you that kind of bypass the big tech and come straight to us uh, on our um, own platform there, we just try to do a little extra content for you via our first and 15 there at dognation.com and on the Dog Nation app. We really, really appreciate that. Then after that, across all video platforms at 10 a.m., radio on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref, podcast platforms there as well. We are just happy to have you with us. And a big thanks to our friends at Breda Pest Management for helping bring today's show to you there as well. The official pest control provider of UGA Athletics. That means when you're looking down there on the field at Sanford Stadium, uh, you see that big football field, you remember then on a space like that, there's room for like a million termites, right? When you're So when you're at a Georgia game, you look down there in that field, keep that in mind. The stadium's protected by Breda Pass Management, and the space that large, you can put up a million termites in a place like that. 
And that's also probably true for your yard outside your house there as well. All those silent destroyers kind of creeping in and perhaps getting to your wood and you know how all that goes. And in Georgia, termites are kind of a fact of life. Termite protection is a necessity. And perhaps you've already got a termite provider and perhaps that termite company not giving you the quality of service you think you deserve, but while also charging you more seemingly year after year for that same old tired service they're providing. That's why for you right now, it's time to make the switch to the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics and our friends at Breda Pest Management in business since 1975. 125 employees taking good care of people for a long time, establishing a great brand in our marketplace for the work and the service they've been providing to people. When you make that switch to Breda Pass Manager, you're going to save more money instantly, put more money back in your pocket instantly just for making that decision. So please find our friends at Breda Pass Manager online today. It's BredaPass.com. Let me spell that for you. B-R-E-D-A, BredaPass.com. One more time, B-R-E-D-A, BredaPass.com, the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics. All right, coming up here in a moment, we're going to have a very good conversation with the former Georgia quarterback, Jake Fromm. We'll do a Kroger Fresh Take with Jake. And one of the things I got into with Jake, and we talk about a lot of things, Carson Beck, Brock Bowers, all that kind of stuff. That's going to be really good with Jake Fromm here coming up in just a minute. But one of the things I really enjoyed about this conversation is I asked Jake about something we talked about yesterday, and you'll remember this, but the fact that Kirby was semi-positive after kind of a bad game defensively for Georgia against Auburn and Smart had seen some good things and so they do this like film cut up of like 10 good plays for the Georgia defense and they use some like positive reinforcement as a way of getting the best out of Georgia and it seemed to work because Georgia played a much better game against Kentucky by doing a lot of the things that Smart had said they had done for parts of the game against Auburn it was sort of a a much more positive Kirby Smart than sometimes the the kind of the tv visual image that you get from him sort of is and i asked jake about that yesterday you know when does kirby kind of decide to give you the positive reinforcement and when does he sometimes decide to give you the tough coaching jake had a very funny answer to that question so we'll let him answer that here in a moment i hope you'll stick around to get a chance to hear that because that is really good stuff prior to that though let's go around the doghouse and it's poured today by our friends at dr pepper and it has been very interesting to me to watch the last couple of days how much interest has been paid to something that Mark Stoops said going back, what, two nights ago? And we talked about this yesterday. And Stoops, if you want to call it an allegation, that Georgia's buying a bunch of players and Stoops kind of using that as a way of coercing his fans and boosters to give more money to their NIL program. This has kind of become certainly the biggest story in the SEC the last couple of days, it would certainly seem. And I want to go back to let you hear what Stoops said because Kirby's offered a little bit of a response to this, but we need to hear Stoops first for the just the context on this. This is Mark Stoops with kind of the statement that has gotten a lot of attention, the idea of, hey, well, if you want to you know, complain about what we're doing, you got to pony up because Georgia's buying all these good players right now. This is what Mark Stoops said. It is what it is. And, uh, you know, fans have that right. I, I give it to him. It, you know, I just encourage him to donate more because that's what those teams are doing. And and uh, in uh, yeah, I could promise you in Georgia, they they bought some pretty good players. You're allowed to these days, and uh, we could use some help. That's what they look like. You know what I mean? When you have 85 of them, so so uh, I encourage uh, anybody that's disgruntled to to pony up some more. So that was the statement. Hey, listen, Georgia's buying all these players. It's legal now. And if you want to be on the same level as them, you got to pony up some NIL because that, that's all legal now. That's what Mark Stoops said. Got a lot of attention, a lot of chatter. 
Well, last night, Kirby Smart met with reporters again. As you would imagine, Smart was asked about this, and Smart didn't necessarily want to take the bait on this particular topic, kind of sidestepped the whole thing. Uh, this is what Kirby Smart said in response to what Mark Stoops had to say. No reaction, you know, much to do about nothing, really. I mean, I think Mark's trying to garner uh, interest in, 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 you know, money from his fan base for his collective, and we're all trying to do the same in terms of trying to get money for our collective. I don't I mean, Mark and I talked about NIL pregame, and uh, we talked about it in our meetings. So I'm not, I'm not biting on that. He says, I'm not biting on that. So let me give you two quick thoughts on this. And, you know, one of these is probably not all that important. I'll start with the one that's less important. Here's what I think is kind of funny. For those of us who've kind of watched Smart's interactions with other SEC coaches throughout the years, isn't it interesting that there are some guys that Kirby just sort of seems to like, and there are some guys that Kirby Smart, the best we can tell, probably doesn't like. Smart wouldn't openly acknowledge not liking them, but we see enough context clues and sort of circumstantial evidence to suggest, uh, I sort of think that Kirby probably doesn't like that guy very much. It just sort of seems like we have some of that out there. And if you're one of those guys that Kirby doesn't like, then it almost seems like to me you can do no right in Kirby's eyes, that everything he does, that guy that Kirby we would say doesn't like is sort of a perceived slight like remember when Gus Malzahn was like uh George is the most this is back when he's the Auburn coach George is the most talented team in the country and Smart was like well listen I think they're the most talented team in the country in other words he kind of sort of took that as like this was Malzahn trying to inflate the expectations for Georgia and Kirby didn't like that right because we would say that Malzahn sort of felt like the kind of coach that Kirby didn't really like and so therefore everything that Malzahn seemed to do there was something sort of wrong with that because of who was doing it but Mark Stoops is one of those guys that Kirby, I would say, just sort of seems to like. That I think he respects the way that he coaches. Obviously, Kirby likes physicality. Stoops teams are, uh, you know, by reputation, pretty physical. And you would assume here, well, that must mean that that makes Kirby kind of like Stoops because Kirby likes the way that Stoops coaches. And so Kirby likes him. And so therefore, Stoops seems to get a free pass, even though I think we've got at least three examples of Stoops doing the kind of stuff that perhaps would kind of get on Kirby's nerves if another coach was doing it. Remember 2021, the long drive at the end of the game, sort of coaching like it was the Super Bowl as a way of covering the spread against Georgia there in 2021? Kentucky later bragged about, oh, listen, we hey, you know, we, we played the Vince Merrill clip about, yeah, we went out there and showed them we could play them close. We could do whatever, even though it was a garbage time score, late final drive of the game and you know, running 15 plays, whatever it was, and all that kind of stuff. Like That would get on Kirby's nerves, you would think, if a different coach did that, but he kind of like Stoops, so that's fine uh how about Saturday night you know there was the thing after the game where Kirby said we told our guys I don't think Kirby used the phrase like cheap shot but that was basically what he was saying they're gonna hit you after the play don't respond to it and Georgia to its credit did not and Kentucky uh, obviously did what Smart said they were going to do and that's the sort of thing well if a different coach did that that might get on your nerves you might use that as you know whatever but Smart seems to like Stoops so even that sort of gets forgiven and now Stoops is like you know you know, mentioning Kirby and NIL and accusing Georgia of buying all of its players, which has the potential of creating a lot of different problems for Georgia because, A, if you're a player on the Georgia roster and you're not maybe getting the NIL dollars you think you deserve, you're like, where's my money? Stoops says they're buying all these players. How come they're not buying me? Like in a roundabout way, Stoops' words potentially cause a little bit of trouble for Kirby, but it seems like Kirby sort of likes Stoops, and so therefore this is another thing that seems like Stoops sort of gets, I don't want to say forgiven for, but, you know, 
you know, perhaps not getting as upset about this as he might have a different coach said it because I think that Kirby's got some respect for Stoops. So I just think that's not very important, but it's just kind of an aside here that if you're a coach that Kirby seems to like, Kirby kind of gives you a little bit of a long leash in terms of what he's willing to tolerate from you and probably at least three examples of that as it relates to Mark Stoops. Now, the other part of this, the Stoops statement here has become a very big story in the news. And I'm always amazed at like what becomes a hot topic. And perhaps this is a hot topic right now because we're kind of in that moment in the season in which there's maybe a lull with some other news and some things like that. Perhaps that's what this is. But I think what really is going on here, I'm going to talk more about this you know, later on the show too for a minute. But I think what's really going on here is, is I think that Stoops and Kirby are united around an idea. Two very different programs. George is probably as you know blue bloody as any program can be in terms of resource and things like that Kentucky at least in football is kind of not but even though that Stoops and Smart come from two very different places in terms of their programs what the programs allow for from a resource standpoint they are both sort of united around the same idea and this is part of the reason in which all of the energy exists around this topic right now everyone to a certain degree is sort of flummoxed by how do you raise NIL dollars? See, I've said this before, and I feel like we can keep saying this over and over again because I still do not feel like enough people are talking about this on a regular enough basis. For every 10 stories you see about NIL demand, there's like maybe one story about NIL supply that you have to have supply to meet the demand. There's no shortage of demand right now. Coaches want it for their players. Players want it for themselves. And you can talk plenty about the NIL demand and how NIL can be used to get this guy and that guy and whatever else. But the issue is, where is the NIL supply going to come from? And the part of the problem with that is, is this kind of like sort of envisioned character, this super rich, egotistical maniac who just loves his alma mater and doesn't care anything about return on investment. He's just going to throw dollars to the tune of millions left and right, left and right, left and right to help his team win because it strokes his ego to see his team win. Guys like that may exist on kind of a low-key level, sort of a small level, but there is no one who's going to watch his net worth decrease over a period of years just so his favorite football team can win games. Professional sports owners don't do that, and they reap the financial benefits when their team wins. Even they don't do that. There is no such thing as a rich person willing to become less rich so his favorite team can win games. It's just not going to happen. So where does the NIL supply come from? That's why Stoops and Kirby are sort of weirdly seemingly aligned on this is because they're both trying to figure that out. And ultimately, this is the challenge, I believe, and we're after this, we're going to move on. This is the thing that I think is becoming more true about NIL. I'm not anti-NIL, I'm really not. I'm just sort of speaking to the realistic issue of how do you create a sustainable flow of money for your NIL coffers everyone's trying to figure that out and the and the, the really good idea for how you do that has not yet been achieved it just hasn't no one's knocking out of the park in terms of money they're bringing in there are a lot of programs who are giving NIL dollars out but we haven't really heard about oh my gosh so and so has been so successful about bringing money in we haven't heard that a lot of these NIL collectives I think are functioning a little bit like tech startups where they have a high churn rate and things like that but no one has quite cracked the code yet on here's how we get really good at bringing money in. Everyone's still trying to figure that out because it's not an easy problem to solve. And ultimately, this is the dilemma that you face. Fans want to believe that NIL can be used to take their team to a higher level when the actual truth is NIL 
will ultimately allow your team to stay at the same level, right? We can look around. We can see this with our own eyes. We've had it for a couple of years now. Has any program truly changed their lot in life because of NIL yet? No one has become a college football playoff team on the basis of transfer portal, right? And no one is really outpacing their recruiting to a large degree yet by the NIL stuff. And you'll say, what about Texas A&M? What about Miami? These are programs that were recruiting fairly well prior to this. And thus far, the big success those programs had in terms of the big breakthrough classes haven't necessarily resulted in a ton of on-field wins yet. Certainly Texas A&M, we've got a couple of years worth of example on that. Miami just had one of the most embarrassing losses any college ball team's ever suffered. So, you know, the idea that there's a big windfall of on-field success after a NIL-influenced recruiting class, thus far we don't have a ton of evidence to support that. So the idea that I'm going to go from an 8-level program to a 10-level program the base of NIL – Thus far, we don't really have any proof that that's true for really anybody. But what you do see, though, is programs using the NIL dollars they can raise, the players they can support, as a way of saying, if we don't do this, we're to drop two levels. We're going to go from being a national championship-level team to not competing for the college football playoff, or a team in the upper tier of our conference to falling down to the middle or lower tier. That the NIL dollars are ultimately best used to kind of maintain your current status, they are not going to climb you up a level or two. And frankly, that's just not quite as exciting for a lot of boosters. You know, you want to believe that spending NIL dollars is a little bit like going out and buying a Ferrari, but the honest truth is it's probably a little bit more like replacing a washing machine. It's the thing you do to kind of maintain the same standard of living you have been having as opposed to taking a big jump up in sort of your glitz, your glamour, and your prestige. So the reason why topics like this generate so much interest is because I honestly believe very smart people who run these college football programs and the organizations, the athletic departments, I think they're trying to figure out. We clearly have a lot of players that we can attract with NIL dollars, and you know, thus far you do see some of that happening. But I don't believe anybody yet has really broken through and cracked the code about how you successfully, sustainably, consistently raise a lot of money. It is just not an easy thing to solve. And it's not necessarily easy for a Georgia or a Kentucky or anybody else. And uh, somebody somewhere may have a big time breakthrough, great idea at some point. But as of yet, I don't believe that's happened. And that is around the doghouse. It's poured today by our friends at Dr. Pepper. And of course, Dr. Pepper has connected to college football as really anybody. When I'm getting ready for my college football game days or when I'm done talking about college football on this show each and every day, obviously I'm reaching for that one-of-a-kind flavor that Dr. Pepper's famous for. Now, for me, I like the zero sugar option. For you, you may like uh, you know, the strawberries and cream. That's the brand new flavor or just the original Dr. Pepper that's been out there and around for a long time there as well. It's just a great choice on game day. So when you're going by Kroger and doing your shopping, Pick up some Dr. Pepper, whichever uh, uh, you know flavor of Dr. Pepper you love. Uh, we always believe that Dr. Pepper is the one fans deserve. And watch out for those Fansville commercials here this weekend as you're watching college football on TV. All right, we are going to look ahead uh, in a couple of minutes to some pretty important games kind of outside the SEC this upcoming weekend. Big, big stakes uh, for a couple of uh, national teams and Georgia's top competition for college football playoff and national championship things like that that might become a little clearer based on how things play out here over the course of this upcoming saturday we'll get to that here coming up in a moment but for now as i said before a very funny response to kind of how kirby's perhaps evolving as a uga coach you'll like this from the former georgia quarterback jake Fromm. let's enjoy that right now here today as a part of a kroger fresh take on dog nation daily and here on dog nation daily time now for a kroger fresh take as we speak to the former georgia quarterback jake Fromm and 
Jake, Georgia fans have been waiting a few weeks to uh, to see what they got a chance to see on Saturday. Total dominance over really a pretty good Kentucky team. Very, very satisfying if you're a UGA fan. And I don't know about you, Jake, but it's been a lot more relaxing week here around Dog Nation. The angst that we sometimes hear, you haven't heard as much of that here this week. Georgia fans very happy with what they saw against Kentucky. What did you think about the game? Hey, Brandon, what's going on? Thanks for having me. Uh, agree 100%. Man, that is such a, a great feeling uh, for everybody involved with the program uh, to just go in there and execute and dominate uh, to the level and standard that, that Kirby preaches. And then, man, just to man, just to go play good and effortless football. Uh, Carson was playing in conscious. I mean, he was just ripping the ball left and right. Um, I mean, he, he played lights out. Uh, offensive line played well, had a good running game to go along with it. Uh, and the defense, man, uh, played great too. So great feeling all the way around. Um, I know that is what is to be expected, um, but uh, just it feels like the first one we've had in a while where we can just whew, take a breath yeah. and say, man, that, that's how the dogs play on Saturday. Is there something different about Carson Beck now, or is it just more about consistency over the course of four quarters? But this is a guy who I think for the most part we've been feeling like was mostly playing well for the first five games anyway, but – also seemingly took it to a different level there on Saturday against Kentucky. Visually, is there something different about him, or is this just a guy that's kind of finally putting together for a full game what he's shown in flashes throughout the portions of games throughout this season? Yeah, I would agree to that. I think that overall, I think Carson has been playing really, really good football, uh, but there's these little kind of spurts, you know, maybe a drive here or a drive there or a play here and a play there where it's like, ah, you know, we, we wish we could have a little bit more, um, but for him to be able to put it into a, an entire football game over the course of four quarters, um, I think it's really, really good to see. And that's good for him, too, because it just, to me, looked like he had a little bit more of a confidence, a little bit more of a swagger, um, and just, man, things were clicking. Uh, Bobo was dialing it up. Uh, man, play design and play calls, uh, both of those uh, were, just, were just going really, really well. Um, and I, I think, uh, man, playing under the lights, finally had a night game in Sanford Stadium. Uh, just, man, what a time uh, to, to get things clicking uh, from an offensive standpoint. I'm not a former coach or a player, so it would not be very hard for you to talk way above my head in terms of my football knowledge. I won't pretend to come close to being able to match you know, what you could do, but I am curious – when you look at the game within the game, one of the things that fascinates me is obviously Kentucky knows that Brock Bowers is Georgia's best player, and pretty clearly that's who Georgia wants to get the ball to. And pretty clearly Kentucky's going to try to take that away. And yet Georgia still found a lot of success throwing to Brock again on Saturday. You know, what's that like, Jake, in terms of they're trying to take this away because it's obvious that's who Georgia wants to throw to, and yet you don't want to just allow it to be taken away. What is the chess match and the game within the game like of finding a way to still get him a touchdown, still get him over 100 yards down for the third straight game, despite the fact that defenses are obviously trying to key on that to a certain extent? Yeah, so there's a bit of chess being played throughout the week of um, Coach Bobo and the offensive staff. Like, hey, how, how can we get this guy in, in one-on-one situations with this defender and, and exploit that matchup? And, you know, the defense coordinator for Kentucky, he's doing the same thing. Hey, how, how can I avoid these situations? And then, you know, if albeit put two, maybe three eyes on number 19 at all times. So, um, but at the end of the day, it's still Brock's got to go out there and still make plays. He's got to go and win his matchup, and that's just what's 
which so uh, is incredible to see, is that he keeps doing it week in and week out of winning those matchups, making these crazy plays, and then still being able to have the same success on the field um, when everybody knows that the ball is going to be going to him. The other thing that I think was really fun about Saturday is now Georgia had a lot of guys make plays. I think Marcus Roseby Jackson, for instance, having a really good year at wide receiver. But the guy that I have been so pleasantly surprised by has been Ra Ra Thomas. And I've said this on our show yeah. a couple of times that I don't know what I expected from Ra Ra, but he is better than I, I think I expect him to be. I have a little bit of a caricature of what I thought like a Mike Leach wide receiver might be, sometimes a little smaller, sometimes a little bit more system-oriented. Mm-hmm. And yet you see Ra Ra in person. I don't know if you spent time with him or not, but you see him in person. He's a little bit bigger. He clearly has a high level of athleticism. Yep. Kirby Smart gave him a nice compliment after the game on Saturday. I think Ra Ra right now is a very interesting find for Georgia and a guy – Gosh, Jake, he just shows a lot of ability to make some plays. Yeah, man, he, he made some plays. Great job on the fade ball uh, in the end zone for six. It kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, Lawrence Cager versus Notre Dame. Yeah. Catching the fade ball um, a little bit. You know, not quite as big as Lawrence Cager, but, you know, still that same uh, making the play on the ball, uh, very good uh, hand-eye coordination, and, uh, man, always going to be able to find a way to come down with it. So, uh, man, he, he he's a great player, and, and you got to speak too. Just the the rest of the weapons that they have on offense as well. I mean, they uh, I mean at times it's a, an embarrassment of riches, but you still got to be able to go out and execute, and those guys still got to make plays. And uh, they made quite a few on Saturday. No question about that. I want to ask you about this too. So. Saturday, Georgia got a much better performance against defense after giving up 200 yards on the ground against Auburn. Georgia came back and played a lot better against running back Ray Davis, who had 280 yards against Florida the, yeah. the previous game. And one of the things that was kind of interesting about Kirby's response to all this was he actually wasn't, according to his own telling of this, all that concern about the Auburn game that he saw more good than not. And it sort of seemed like he kind of approached the team from sort of a positive reinforcement type standpoint of hey here's 10 things you did well and if you do this for the full game then all of a sudden whatever issues that appeared against Auburn they won't appear anymore and I think for a lot of us that's kind of interesting because sometimes the version of Kirby we see on television is peeling paint off the walls and it's you know screaming into a headset during the game at halftime or for those who may have been to some of those like scrimmages that the rich folks get a chance to go to you see a little bit more of that where he's you know just really kind of going after people you know sometimes in a you know obviously a very aggressive way as a uh, you know sort of a strong-willed coach you know would possibly do as someone who spent a lot of time around him as a player you know did you see lots of different versions of Kirby was there the kind of the more positive kind of patch on the back version and sometimes when he felt like you needed the opposite of that maybe he goes in the direction did you get various stripes of his personality depending on whatever he thought was going to work at a given moment I tell you, I don't think I ever got that version of uh, Coach Smart when I was there. So it's uh, it's been very interesting to see uh, kind of from the couch, you know, to say that the the personality, the coaching personality of Coach Smart, kind of kind of slowly kind of change and creep to maybe a more positive and optimistic side, which is uh, which is neat to see, you know. Um, but no, I, I don't feel like I had that <laughs> when I was playing. Um, but I, I think what you you still see on Saturday, you can't you can't take it out of him on on game day. You know, like that's that's just that's just him. That's yeah. just what makes him uh, the intensity there on game day. But but through the week, you know, when he's able to to collect some thoughts and and assess the situation, I think um, what what you're seeing is maybe a, a slightly more more wise and experienced coach uh, be able to attack certain things in different ways. 
It's our Kroger Fresh Date with Jake Fromm here on Dog Nation Daily. And, of course, this month, Kroger Chef Junior, you've heard about that, the guided kids' cooking experience that you get a chance to enjoy with your kids, $7 per child, making great items, giving kids a chance to be a part of the food preparation process. And this month, it's a UGA-themed cookie. So if you go to Kroger Chef Junior, that's the word Junior spelled out, J-U-N-I-O-R, KrogerChefJunior.com, you can find out various locations participating in the weeks during the month of October where that's taking place. And you can be a part of that and get all kinds of great paraphernalia, apron and patch and you know, recipe box holder and all these kind of cool stuff the, uh, that you get for being a part of that, including this month, a chance to make the UGA-themed cookie as a part of Kroger Chef Jr. So go to KrogerChefJr.com for more on that. So, Jake, to finish up here, Saturday, it's Georgia at Vanderbilt. And the other day, uh, James Franklin, the Penn State coach, said something I thought was kind of interesting. In preparing to play Northwestern, who's sort of the Big Ten's version of what perhaps Vanderbilt is in the SEC, they said they were intentionally not pumping in crowd noise because they wanted the team to kind of get ready for the very different kind of environment you face at a place like Northwestern. As somebody who like went to every place in the SEC, or at least a lot of them, tough environments loud crowds all that kind of stuff what's it like in a place like Vanderbilt where it's just a completely different atmosphere in the SEC and you do perhaps have to kind of find your own energy internally because there's not maybe as much external in you know energy there what's it like to be a player playing in a game like that yeah I mean that's a uh, that's a real thing obviously Vanderbilt's on the the lower end of the spectrum you know we talk about SEC places to play um, in my opinion, it's got a lot of a, of a high schoolish feel with the turf, with the low stands. Um, and I remember we played there at noon. I mean, you do. You, you have to bring your own juice. You have to be milling ready to, to start fast and, and to go and to, to be able to do things on your own. Um, but it always helps, too, when, when Dog Nation travels and, and takes over the stadium and you, you get a feel of a, of a hometown crowd, kind of feels a, a little bit more scrimmage-like, so to say, or, or GA-like. Um, but uh, it always helps when uh, when Dog Nation travels and it pumps that game up and makes it makes it feel like more of a uh, more of a home game. Along those lines, we'll finish with this. Do you remember the season opener in 2019? You know, everybody makes a big deal yeah. about who went out to Notre Dame in 2017. Obviously, that was one of the most memorable weeks of a lot of our lives, at least from a sports standpoint. But I've never seen a percentage of a stadium more filled by an opposing team's fans in that season opener at uh Vanderbilt in 2019 I mean Jake you'd be hard-pressed to find any Vanderbilt fans the entire thing sort of felt like Georgia fans and obviously Nashville big weekend destination people love that but have you ever seen anything like that from a percentage of fans in the stadium I don't know that I've ever seen more visiting fans in one place at one time no I I haven't I mean which is that's why I always go back and speak on that experience because it was it was incredible I mean uh, after the game, you know, and and it, it's out of hand, and Vanderbilt, you know, fans are leaving. I mean, they're, they're still ninety percent capacity, and they're wearing red. So, uh, an unbelievable experience. Uh, big, big thank you to the fans for showing up and traveling because, um, and that that just made it an incredible uh, half home opener you know that we got to experience no it was a lot of fun for sure and jay we certainly appreciate you giving us a lot of fun here on our kroger fresh take each and every week there as well continued success for you as you uh go through the uh, work each week with the uh, washington commanders and we'll look forward to talking to you very soon here as a part of uh, kroger fresh take on dog nation daily as well awesome brandon thank you let's take a look around the rest of the league this is sec through Really, really fun stuff from Jake Fromm there, and I just love 
this thing up. I never really saw the sort of positive side of uh, Kirby Smart. Uh, Jake sort of suggesting that perhaps Kirby's kind of evolving with his coaching personality here. Kind of an interesting thing to hear from uh, Jake Fromm there. And one of the really fun reasons why we love having Jake on our show each and every week. Good stuff there as a part of a Kroger fresh take. Now, let's get ready to go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Now, I am happy to report that I really feel like in my job of doing this show and being someone who tells you about all the great things going on with our friends at Royal Caribbean, that in order to be able to do this well, I need to experience the best of what Royal Caribbean has to offer. And obviously in January of 2024, that includes Icon of the Seas, the debut of the largest cruise ship to ever be built. And the cruise vacation experience is going to redefine the entire you know cruise industry. It's an incredible, incredible opportunity. And I've really been hoping to get a chance to be on board uh, Icon of the Seas some point in time early 2024. Wheels continue to turn. It seems like we're heading in a very positive direction here uh, that I could have a first-person perspective, eyewitness account of exactly how amazing Icon of the Seas is before uh, too much longer. Have that on the books and confirmed, and I will be so excited about that when that becomes the case. And you can have your own experience on board Icon of the Seas there as well. You can call Jessica Slater, travel agent, specially selected for us by Royal Caribbean. Here's the thing. Royal Caribbean believes that a great cruise vacation made even better when you have a great travel agent. And no one really knows uh, Royal Caribbean like as well as Jessica Slater does. Just really, really good about all the various options that Royal Caribbean has for you, including some really fun new things in 2024. Obviously, first and foremost, the debut of Icon of the Sea. So please give Jessica a call. 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. You can also email her, Slater at dreamvacations.com that's jay slater at dreamvacations.com talk to her about icon of the seas talk to her about the brand new hideaway beach debuting kind of a new add-on and an amplification of the experience there at perfect day coco k and all the other cool stuff there as well including our dog nation cruise coming up in april of 2024 really really good stuff coming up with jessica slater i should say with royal crib and jessica can help you out with it. i'm sure jessica's got some great stuff coming up too but in this particular case i'm talking about good stuff coming up for royal caribbean that obviously our friend jessica slater can tell you all about all right let's talk about uh nil stuff here and follow up on what we were saying a little earlier because it's been a hot topic mark stoop said what he said kirby smart had his response to that Shane Beamer also talked about that this week, too, saying NIL is certainly a major factor, not just in college football, but across all college athletics. I can name all the programs here at Carolina, and they all deserve it. He says, I want to, I want to do what's best for our players. I'll make every phone call, speak to every group I possibly can when it comes to raising money from this standpoint. He says, whether you agree with NIL or not, uh, if you want to win at the highest level and you want to win championships like we do here at Carolina, you've got to be very active from a collective standpoint. So, what Beamer is saying there is essentially what we said a little earlier, which is obviously there's a very high and measurable and noticeable demand for NIL. Players want it. It's a factor in their decision about where they go. It's a factor in their decision about whether or not they choose to stay sometimes your program. We'd be led to believe that. Obviously, fans want the best for their program, too. There are a lot of Georgia fans, just to kind of keep it to Georgia for a moment, I'm sure South Carolina has fans like this as well, that in a perfect world, they'd love just to give all kinds of money to NIL. They'd love to feel like they were doing something to make their program better they like the idea of that but actually parting with dollars when you know filling up your gas tanks more expensive than it's ever been you know you've got you know food that seems to be like twice as expensive as it's ever been you've got a little bit of an interesting sort of real estate market out there right now like, like you've just got a lot of things going on where you know the idea of yeah I'm, and in addition to all this other stuff i'm also going to go out here and just sort of pony up for big state you you know that's not 
always the easiest decision for everyone to make. And obviously, colleges are looking at everything they can, college programs looking at everything they can of how do we incentivize this? And how do we really come up with the kind of killer idea that allows us to raise money at a sustainable pace for the future and allows us to kind of maintain the status we've enjoyed as a program? I think that's a very interesting question being asked right now. Shifting gears to another SEC story, interesting stuff at ESPN.com. This is not new information in terms of what we've been talking about around here, but it is confirmation of what we've been kind of openly discussing as a possibility for a while. And that is, and I don't take great pleasure in saying this, but it's just true, that Zach Arnett right now, the head coach of Mississippi State, has the look of a one-and-done coach. That he's, in his first year, obviously hired under horrible circumstances, challenging circumstances after the unexpected passing of Mississippi State coach uh, Mike Leach, you know, last year. Arnett, who'd been a very good defensive coordinator there, stepped into the job of head coach. And Mississippi State wanted to give him the look of something else than just an interim coach because if all he is is just sort of a transitionary interim type coach, then that becomes a very difficult and challenging thing for the program to kind of attract players, things like that. So they wanted to give him the look of a true head coach there. But ultimately what uh, Rittenberg reports at ESPN.com is the actual details of the Arnett contract are not all that difficult to get out of. And right now the Bulldogs are just not playing very good football. They were trying to undertake a huge transition on offense, getting way away from the Mike Leach style and getting to more of a – I guess a traditional sort of football style, bringing in tight ends to the program, things like that. Our buddy Rylan Goaty's there now. They're trying to, you know, just kind of sort of be more of like what we think of as a traditional football team. That's a very difficult challenge to undertake in just one year, and it's not working, and it's not apparently going to cost Mississippi State a whole lot to get out of this contract, and so they're probably going to do that. Now, a couple of things here on this. First of all, part of the reason why I bring this up is because ultimately y'all don't care very much about Mississippi State, at least for the most part. But I do believe you'll be interested in this. I believe we've got massive change coming to the SEC this offseason. I believe we could see a bloodletting like unlike anything this league's seen in quite some time. You know, we heard from Mark Stoops a little earlier. He's unhappy at Kentucky. He's been feuding with John Calipari. It seems like there's a little bit of a feud with the athletic department in general, athletic director specifically. Um, there is a certain ceiling of achievement you probably have at a place like that. You realize they've only had like two – years of winning records in the sec in like however many years they've only beaten like two teams ever that like finished or like stoops himself has only beaten two teams the entire time he's been there that finished the season with a winning record in the sec you know it seems like stoops and i think this is true has been a successful coach at kentucky by almost any measurable standard but it's still not that successful so i think that he's probably getting a little restless because he knows he's kind of bumping up against the program ceiling and what the reasonable expectations should be and yet fans have a tendency to be a little bit unreasonable and so i think he could leave on his own if he has a chance to go take another job uh, I, I could see him doing that mississippi state's almost certainly going to fire zach arnett there are other programs that when they look at the schedule they're about to play moving forward knowing that the league is kind of doing away with some of the automatic wins that certain teams have always gotten when you see Texas and Oklahoma coming into the league and you're kind of doing away with division play and now you've got to have the second best record in the league to play for an SEC championship you can't just be the best team in some sort of arbitrarily drawn division anymore there's a lot of angst right now that's about to be entered into the SEC conversation with how the league is set to evolve obviously next year but in future years perhaps even more so I think that Arnett could be one of many open jobs in the SEC this year. It's been relatively quiet in this conference on that front for the most part, right? And we had a big changeover prior to the 2020 season and then the pandemic occurred. But it seems like 
am I wrong about this, that it's been relatively quiet around the league for uh, quite some time? I do not believe this offseason is going to be quiet. I believe that Arnett is likely to be one of many uh, SEC uh, coaches who perhaps either is moved on from or chooses to move on. Um, I think we could see a lot of that in the SEC here this offseason. And then finally, let me give you this. A lot of interesting national games this weekend, at least a handful of those kind of outside the SEC that I do think bring Georgia and who it's competing with for the college football playoff to a little bit of a clearer focus. Let me give you a couple of these here right now. I think that Oregon-Washington is a fascinating football game. Now, from a week-to-week basis, you can make a case that for the first you know five weeks of the season or so, four or five weeks of the season, that Washington has been about the most dominant team in college football. And I think that Michael Penix, the Huskies quarterback, is probably very much in the conversation for the Heisman Trophy right now. And Washington has the look of a potential playoff contender. Oregon has had a quieter season by comparison. They had the big game against Colorado that everybody saw. Other than that, they've probably flown under the radar a little bit more. But as we talked about earlier, now that Georgia's overall statistical profile is about to kind of come into shape and kind of come into focus a little bit more like what a typical national championship level team has kind of been, as we said on Monday, Oregon's kind of right there in that same boat here right now. They've actually played a pretty dominant brand of football there as well. Oregon-Washington is a very real football game on Saturday where the winner of that game has, I believe, a very real chance of potentially being in the college football playoff. I wasn't necessarily prepared to say that for the Pac-12, but this has been a fun league this year. It's been a pretty deep league. Oregon and Washington are the class of the league, and the winner of this game has a real shot to be in the college football playoff. And while Washington's kind of gotten more attention than Oregon, Oregon on the road on Saturday, I believe, has a real opportunity to win this football game. Uh, USC, Notre Dame, obviously Notre Dame coming off the loss to Louisville. Louisville probably better than you expect. The USC defense is just terrible. And it's interesting. In the AP poll, USC, without losing a game yet, has dropped in the rankings three weeks in a row because people are obviously aware that this team cannot be among the nation's best playing defense the way they are. My assumption is on Saturday, this is when all of that just kind of comes to a head. On the road at Notre Dame, you know, Notre Dame, when it's faced sort of weaker defenses, actually kind of put up some big yards, some big point totals. Uh, I believe they have a chance to do that against USC on Saturday. Uh, big spot for Caleb Williams. He tries to win a Heisman for a second straight year. Uh, we'll see what, how he plays against Notre Dame. But the Irish defense actually been pretty good. Um, you know, I, I, there's a chance this is a sucker play, but I kind of like a, a Notre Dame here by a, by a pretty wide margin. And then finally, I'll mention Miami, uh, North Carolina, another one of these sort of big national-style games. There's just no other way to say it. Miami is coming off one of the most embarrassing losses any team's ever going to suffer. The horrid, horrid, horrid decision-making by Miami coach Mario Cristobal at the end of that game, which it seems like he's sort of taken some ownership of, but at the same time kind of obfuscated on a little bit, obfuscated on a little bit. Seems like there might be some of that going on. Either way, they just need to bounce back, and they need it in the worst way. And pretty quietly, North Carolina is playing a pretty good brand of football right now. They just absolutely blasted a – Syracuse team that came into the game with only one loss so North Carolina right now is playing a pretty good brand of football here and UNC is probably worth paying at least a little bit of attention to they're playing more defense this year than they have at any other point in time under the Mac Brown regime here thus far so that's a pretty fun game there as well and we will make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal 
Caribbean. And before we wrap things up here on a Wednesday, let me also remind you about our friends at the Finish Long Drink. You want to get ready for a great game day watch party, tailgate, whatever else? The Finish Long Drink goes great with you for that, including the brand new peach flavored version of the Finish Long Drink. For a limited time here in the Peach State, you can find some peach flavored version of the Finish Long Drink, ready to drink cocktail. It looks like a beer because it comes in a can. People sort of expect that, but it's not. It's a ready to drink cocktail. So if you like mixed drinks, you're going to love that. Not just the peach flavored version, but like the other flavors, cranberry. Long drink strong. That's eight and a half percent alcohol by volume. Long drink zero. No carbs, no sugar. Uh, the traditional and the blue king got the grapefruit flavor, the gin kick. Go to the website, thelongdrink.com, and find out where you can pick some up today. The finished long drink is a wonderful, wonderful option. Make sure you enjoy that today. All right, for our golden shoe today, we're going to use this exclusively for the purpose of sending out some good vibes because this evening, 5 p.m., I think it's the start time. Braves on the road at Philadelphia, Game 3 of the National League Division Series. Obviously, we wish Atlanta well there on that. In fact, for our golden shoe today, we'll give you a little bit of an image that the Braves put out there. Uh, absolutely attacking as one. Dog Nation joining with uh, Braves country here for this one today. Uh, on the road at Philadelphia. Going to be a hostile environment there at Citizens Bank Park. But we believe Atlanta goes in with a lot of momentum. So best of luck to the Braves as they get ready to take on the philadelphia phillies here this afternoon this evening and how about that travis darno homer to give the braves the lead how about the great michael harris catch and the austin raleigh heads up play to 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 get the uh, cutoff throw and fire back to first base keep it going today braves we're wishing you well there on that lousy stinking gators how about a gator hater countdown just 17 days from right now georgia back in jacksville beating up on florida again that's our gator hater countdown y'all have a great day we'll see you back here tomorrow dog nation daily presented by breda pest management